Well, earlier this week, we had our annual staff Christmas party. We met in the Lexington Courtyard Room. We had a, a wonderful breakfast for lunch spread. We sang carols, and we also had a gingerbread house-making contest. My team was robbed, by the way. Pastor Brian gave us this beautiful Advent meditation and, and much, much more. And as all this was going on, my, my table enjoyed this epic debate on what was the greatest of all Christmas movies. It started off kind of funny, you know, Elf, Home Alone, and then someone said Love Actually. Another one said Die Hard. And then the opinions really started flying. And we were getting to know each other on a different level now. The elbows were about to start following. And, and at the risk of exaggerating, we had to put a stop to that conversation before it turned violent. As they say, that escalated quickly. All I know is that after that conversation, our gingerbread house was never the same. And while that conversation was, you know, it was fine, it did remind me that just about any conversation you have these days can get intense, even hurtful. We can make a controversy of just about anything and everything. And one of the many reasons that we have so much anger and violence in this world, and, and this is why we are starving for peace. It is a violent world. Global violence, local violence. Violence is all throughout our lives. You likely do not see yourself as a violent person. Maybe you think, yeah, I get mad sometimes. I, I even have worked on my anger, but I'm not prone to violence. No one in my life thinks that I'm going to hurt them. And for most, that's likely true. But I bet if you reflected on how much violence versus peace there is in your life, you might surprise yourself. Here's one that surprised me. Have you noticed that many of our compliments are violent? These days, it's become part of our normal language to tell a friend they did a great job by saying, wow, you crushed that. You slayed that presentation. Years ago, if you told the worship leader, you killed that song, they would have been horrified. Oh no, I ruined it. Now you go up to a worship leader and say that with a smile, you killed that song. That worship leader is going to say, thank you. Praise the Lord. Try it. Try it in your office. You wrecked Excel at work this week. You demolished that root canal, doctor. The compliments are only limited by the violent words that we can come up with. We have normalized violence in our lives that even our compliments are violent. That surprised me. Well, this is week two in our series, In Unearth Peace. And last week, Brian began the series by giving us a vision of peace that Jesus brought. And this week, we want to see ourselves as peacemakers, the Jesus type of peacemakers. As Jesus memorably says, blessed are the peacemakers in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And if you know what Jesus was doing in the Beatitudes, you know that this is part of his upside down world that he's proclaiming. You have to lay down your life to find it. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the one that regards themselves as the least. And Jesus modeled the goodness of serving, sacrificing, forgiving, and loving, and peacemaking. What the world sees as weak, Jesus says, when done for our Heavenly Father and in service to one another, then in the kingdom, that is strong, that is powerful, that is righteous. I took a stab at writing a, a different type of Beatitudes. 
they are more in line with the unwritten rules of life that you and I have probably come to know. Uh, let me know how familiar they feel to you. Blessed are the selfish and greedy, for they have to get theirs. Blessed are, the, are, blessed are they who are the life of the party, for they figured out how to win at life. They deserve to be the happiest. Blessed are the triumphants, for they will get the monopoly. Blessed are, the, are they who hunger and thirst to improve themselves, for they will be better than their neighbor. Blessed are the ruthless, for no one dare to mess with them. Blessed are those that present well, for they have successfully hidden their pains. Blessed are the winners, for they get to make all the rules. Blessed are those that were able to figure it out with their smarts, talents, and hustle. That's it. I've thought about this. The distinction between being a cultural Christian and, and being a growing disciple of Jesus. And it's easy to get confused. It's easy to lose your way. Well, here are the real Beatitudes that Jesus gives. Notice the difference. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. And blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Quite the difference. The world's beatitudes perpetuates violence and promotes winning at all costs and, and has perverted the beauty and the power of peace. In fact, the context that, that Jesus was speaking in, speaking in had the concept of Pax Romana, which directly translated to the peace of Rome. And Rome's vision of peace was, if, if you don't get out of the way, then, then you die. But if you play by the rules, likely nothing violent will happen to you. Similar to that poor imitation of the Beatitudes earlier, this is a disappointing and limiting vision of peace. So it's often why we are not really that inspired when someone talks to us about peace. Let's unpack that for a little bit. We're preaching about peace today. Peacemaking specifically. And I too get a bit bored and uninspired when I hear others talk about peace. Because sometimes it just sounds trite. Well, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that type of cheap peace when there's when there's a call to peace, but there's no or little acknowledgement of the pain and damage caused. In order for two people or two parties to experience true peace, both the pain of what happened and the hope for a mutually beneficial future must occur. Further, the absence of violence is often a reference to peace, but, but that's so basic. When Jesus talks about peace, he talks about shalom, and he talks about a new redeemed world where justice and love and goodness rule. That's the type of Jesus peace our souls desire. And as followers of Jesus, we ought to be the ones that show the world Jesus' extraordinary vision of peace. May we be those types of peacemakers. Today, I want to share with you that because we have received the peace of Jesus, we can be peacemakers in three ways. The first is peace and conflict. Oh, there's so much conflict. Last week, Brian highlighted the, 
the Middle East conflict in Gaza between Israel and Palestine and Hamas as the rest of the world watches the, the carnage unfold. It's horrific all around. At the time of this recording, there are 250 Israelis displaced and 1.5 million Palestinians displaced. There was, as you know, 1,200 Israelis who were killed by Hamas on October 7th and many more since as the battle has, has ensued. At the time of this recording, over 10,000 Palestinians have been killed. 4,000 are said to be children. We ought to lament every single one. As a Middle Easterner, my, my heart is deeply concerned for, for all the parties involved. And while I was born here in, these, in the States, my, my parents and everyone before was, was born in Egypt. I learned many of the persecution stories that my family and fellow Christians had suffered. Half of my family is Protestant, while, while the other half is Coptic Christian. And because they have a larger population and cultural presence, they often experience greater persecution. And so we, we pray for all of them, all persecuted Christians, and for the innocent, regardless of whatever beliefs or faith they have. I respect that you too have well-formed opinions on the Middle East, on Israel, and on Palestine. And often I, I find it important to put my, my opinions and my personal narratives, even my heart-health convictions, to the side so I can be attentive to the current moment so I can empathize with the suffering on all sides. In this moment, both Israelis and Palestinians. And this helps me to be able to pray with a clear conscience for peace. Truth be told, I'm just as broken for the 1,200 Israelis killed in the surprise attack, attack by Hamas on October 7th, October 7th as I am for the over 10,000 Palestinians that were killed in response. I invite you to, again to lament every single life that, was been, that has been impacted by this violence. Today I want to call attention to one of the aunts of one of my closest friends. Some of you know my dear friend Bassem Ibrahim and his wife Moret and their wonderful children. You might say that our friendship began when our parents were still college students in Cairo, before they were even dating in fact, before they were, they were spouses of each other. Weddings and they had immigrated to the U.S. and kids and trips and summer at Camperia. And what all feels like God's providence, our families now end up here at Grace. Bassam's Moret's family and Susan and my family are here at Grace. Bassam's people are my people and mine his. And I say that because as this conflict escalated to war, Bassam sent a text to us asking us to pray for his aunt, Tuns Suhaila. Terizi, who is the director of the Ali Arab Hospital in Gaza City. Yes, that hospital in Gaza City. And as the war began, she and many of her co-workers stayed to treat the injured. Eventually, they were moved out. And because Tunt had acquired dual citizenship, she's currently stateside at the moment. But her story and her, her perspective have been captured in various news outlets, including CNN. I cannot attempt to give you Tunt's perspective but I want to highlight this Palestinian Christian's sacrificial heart and her demonstration of care and love. It's Palestinians like her that have helped me understand the nuances and the complexities of a people that have no state, that have no rights, that have a terrorist organization such as Hamas hovering over them and living among them. 
The vast majority of the vast majority of Palestinians cannot leave, and so many suffer. And let us grieve that. And I have friends from Israel as well, with again very different spiritual backgrounds, and I and I love them all. And I grieve what is happening now, and my stomach gets sicker and sicker when I read more about the atrocities. We 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 must grieve and listen and pray for peace. Believe me when I tell you that is complicated and deeply personal for all of us. And many have endured numerous wrongs from various parties and inflicted their own wrong. And so we should learn and stretch ourselves a bit. If you'd like to add another podcast to consider, there's, there's one from the Holy Post where they speak with the former State, De- State Department official, Todd Durthridge. And he shares about his 15-year effort to help Americans understand the Israeli-Palestinian situation he says, it's not a zero-sum conflict. I appreciated his humility. Over the years, I've learned that you have your history, and you have your pain, and you have your opinions, and beliefs, and convictions, and hopes. And for Jesus' followers, we have the call to be peacemakers. And this way of Jesus is our greatest calling. Will you pray for that type of peace with us? That Jesus type of peace? Not that cheap peace often spoke about, but that Jesus type of peace that loves neighbor, that loves enemy, that calls for light and love in the darkest and most destitute of places. I mentioned there's three types of ways we can be peacemakers. The first was being peacemaking in conflict. The second is peace and loneliness. Now, there are different forms of loneliness. The relational, but also the spiritual. I want to read to you from from Galatia, uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there's a lot of theology there. It's very beautiful and powerful. But in summary, Paul is telling us that because we've experienced reconciliation with God through Jesus, we then can become ambassadors of this message of salvation. We then can become ambassadors of the peace of Christ. In this passage, Paul is telling us because of the extraordinary saving work of Jesus, everything is different now. Everything is new. And you and I are a new creation. And that means a radical new way of doing things. So here, instead of seeing ourselves as soldiers for for a cause, Paul says in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Another way to say this is because our lives have been changed by the saving grace of Christ, we become peacemakers for Jesus. Imagine if we saw ourselves as peacemakers. Instead of choosing sides, we were the ones praying for wisdom and the courage to broker peace. Instead of dehumanizing the other, we lived out the words of Jesus and and we loved our neighbor and loved praying I loved our enemy and prayed for our enemy. 
Instead of vengeance and retribution, we ask God for the miracles of going through the arduous process of forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a very hard calling. But blessed are the peacemakers. As I've been considering loneliness and the need for peace, I think of the spiritual loneliness that we were talking about here, but also the relational loneliness. And when you're lonely, you don't see straight. I'm reminded by this African proverb that was quoted by the black theologian John Perkins. And he says, When I saw you from afar, I thought you were a monster. When you got closer, I thought you were an animal. When you got even closer, I saw that you were a human. But when we were face to face, I realized that you were my brother. One of the lessons here is that proximity brings perspective. In the midst of our relational and spiritual loneliness, may we be challenged by this type of peace. And friends, we cannot be peacemakers if we are feeling lonely, if we are feeling apart from God and disconnected from others. And so if you're not experiencing peace, I want to encourage you to spend time in prayer, asking God for His nearness. I want to encourage you to spend time in Scripture. I want to encourage you to spend time in the practices of of, of meditating and practicing the Sabbath or, or even fasting. We have resources to help you with this, this Advent. You can go to grace.org Christmas to sign up for our Advent meditations. We've also updated our discipleship resource library with Advent devotionals, videos, and podcasts. That's available at grace.org JRL. Personally speaking, I'm working through Tish 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 Harrison Warren's new Advent devotional. And I'm also listening to Ruth Haley Barton's podcast, Strengthening the Soul for Your Leadership, which is doing an Advent series the most recent one featured the faithfulness and vulnerability of Mary. It's beautiful. The third type of peacemaking that we can bring is peace in anxiety. I wanted to spend a few minutes and, and unpack a, a story here that, that resurfaced uh, as, as a friend and I were, were reminiscing about something. It, it takes me a little while to tell this story, so I think at the end you'll, 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 you'll see what, the point of the story. But it starts off many years ago, and I'd, I'd become the youth pastor at this wonderful church in North Jersey. And I'll save you all those details, but I was really excited for that role. I had just got out of a role that gave me experience, and it toughened me up a bit, and softened my heart in other places a bit. And I had all these ideas and energy for the next chapter. And like, like most young leaders, I came in a little hot. And some people liked that, and I got off to a strong start with some of them. But for some, I was, I was too much changed too soon. And for one youth leader, we'll call her Helen, uh, she was a little bit older than me, experienced, but you know, she had a wisdom about her, and, and I wanted to keep her. And she was trying to find the balance herself of, of staying in that volunteer role, supporting me and, and helping me. And I seemed to disappoint her a lot. And she would write me then these really intense emails. And there was always like a line or two that, that would kind of like slice me a bit. You know, like it was always like this line like, you have all that confidence. And it wasn't like in an admiration sense. And she sometimes would compare me to the previous youth pastor, who would, no one was like. I mean, he was just so gifted. We'll never see that again. And then I was made to feel sometimes like I was the worst youth pastor out there. I was unfit, I felt. I call these love letters uh, because they were always signed, Loving Christ 
with the love of Jesus, your sister in Christ. And I received a number of them. And hence, I was, I was very loved. Well, in the midst of this, I held an information night on that upcoming summer's mission trip. And we were reworking our summer missions programs, alternating between domestic and, and international. And this year was going to be a domestic trip. And we were talking about uh, this trip we were really excited about, too, is going to be in New Orleans. And it was in response to the Category 5 hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, that hit New Orleans in 2005, caused billions of dollars in damage. And we were struck by one of the towns right next to New Orleans is called Chalmette. And you may not have heard of Chalmette, but you probably heard of the Lower Ninth Ward. And Chalmette received just as much water and damage, but because they were separated by the city line, they didn't get as much relief. So we wanted to go to New Orleans Chalmette and support that. I was really excited about this trip. Understandably, there were some who were reluctant about the trip. And so we held an information night. And there were some who were very against the trip. But as I would find out, they were really against me. And so the first part was, you know, your normal presentation, slides, and basic questions. And then during the Q&A, one parent stood up and asked me this question. She said, I want to ask you about your theology. And she was the kind of woman that I really wanted on my side. She was sharp, wise, resourceful, articulate. But her question, dash speech, became a kind of like an interrogation in my personal theology. And she went on for minutes and minutes and minutes. I was trying to keep track of, of what I was going to say and respond because I was very comfortable with my theology in this church. So I I thought this was going to be anticlimactic. But as the, as the minutes went by, I could feel like the room getting anxious. I could also feel my own anxiety. And so finally, I, I, when I had my chance to speak, I, I, I thanked her. I said, hey, I, I appreciate that you want to understand my theology. And, 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 and perhaps your family and myself and one of our elders could, could sit down and, and talk more about this. Because I'd like to listen more and I'd like to share with you more. But until then, I want you to know that, that I agree with our, theolo- our, our theological uh, statement and our, our, doctor- our set of doctrinal beliefs here at our church. And I don't think I've ever contradicted them. I, I uphold all of them. And I thought it was a pretty reasonable answer. And she said, that's not good enough. Oh, and the room just started like, oh, man, like it was buzzing the room. Uh, I, was, I was losing control of the room. And just then, Helen, the lady who would send me these love letters, says, I'd like to say something. And she had like this this squawking type of angry voice. It was harsh. I'd like to say something. Could I have a microphone? Now, nobody was using a microphone in this room. And and I was trying to get control. Hey, friends, let's, let's reset a little bit. And just then somebody gave her a microphone and, and there she was holding the microphone. I, I, I tried to grab for this microphone with one hand and like, like with a ninja church lady type of reflex, she dodged me. And with the other hand, I started updating my resume because I knew the, the, the end was coming, coming soon. And she says something like this. She says, I've been here every week, every week listening to this man. And I have never, Never, ever heard him say anything that contradicts the Bible. Oh, oh, she's defending me. Oh my goodness, I did not see this coming. She was defending me. And with her wisdom and with that sweet voice of hers, she starts articulating virtues and and 
positives about me. And then she tries to help the room understand, listen, we're all going through all these changes. And let's, it's an important time of our church. Let's rally together. And I believe in this trip and I believe in this guy. And she said these extraordinarily nice things. And I tell you that she saved that moment. I tell you the story because Helen became a peacemaker that day. As unlikely as it seemed, she was the one that brought peace in all the ways described in this message. She brought peace to this brewing conflict. She brought peace to the isolating loneliness that that I was facing as a leader and probably others in that room were facing. And she brought peace to this very anxious room. I look back at it all now and just about every parent in that room that night became dear friends to Susan and I. That dear woman who asked that long question, I regard her and her husband as some of the most amazing parents that, that I've got to know. Their children are astonishing and incredible and successful in all these ways. And they love the Lord. A year after that, uh, we would adopt our newborn, our son Nathan. And this church threw two different baby showers for us. And later, some years after that, these would be the folks hugging us goodbye as we were packing up and moving here to Boston. Peacemakers. Peacemakers like that. Having experienced the peace of Jesus, we can bring peace to conflict, to loneliness, to anxiety. As we wrap up here, we're struggling and trying to figure out how to, how to end the sermon. And throughout the year, I've, you know, I, I've tried to take advantage of every, every opportunity to make a joke at Brian's expense. They haven't all, always been that mean. They haven't even really been that funny. Uh, but I got stuck at, at a certain point here and I was, as I was preparing for this message. And, and you may have heard that when Brian gets stuck in a message, he goes out for a run. And God always seems to meet him on the trail. And I, I was intrigued by this. I also found out why Brian runs so much. Uh, I was in his kitchen recently and I uh, opened up the freezer and that man has an ungodly amount of ice cream in his fridge. I know you probably don't think eating that much ice cream is sinful, but like I'm telling you, it is, it is, it is almost scandalous. That's why he's running all the time, all the time. And so I, I set up the treadmill that in my gym and I, I don't really run much. I don't have the knees for it. I don't have the ankles for it. I don't have the feet for it. I don't have the attention span for it. I don't have the desire for it really. But I went for a run anyway. And you know what? Nothing happens. Yep. God gives Brian revelation when he goes on his runs. I got shin splints. It hurt. The next morning as I was nursing the tightness in my ankles and my sore feet, I'm like, why did I do that? It got me thinking about the pain of life. The physical, the emotional, the pain from disappointment, the pain from conflict the pain from the little things to the big battles, the pain from the deserts and the valleys and the storms and the countless other metaphors that we have for all this pain. And then I realized something, like it was a whisper from the Lord. If you can relate to this pain, then you might have what it takes to be an ambassador for the peace of Jesus. See, the first essential experience is to have, to have experienced the love and forgiveness and salvation of Jesus. But the second essential is to be is to have experienced the pain of life intimately. If we want to be ambassadors for that type of peace, 
we have to know the joy and the cost of peace. It's what makes you credible. Having experienced the peace of Jesus, we can bring peace to conflict, to loneliness, to anxiety. And often pain is part of that journey. Maybe you don't, you don't think you are called to be a peacemaker. Perhaps it's because you feel that you are irregular in conflict and so peace isn't your thing. I'm not the peaceful type you think. Or maybe you feel a form of loneliness and figure you wouldn't be that much help to others. And maybe you have a form of anxiety and you haven't figured it out and you wonder, how could I help? Friends, if we are waiting for us to be perfect before we can help, we are going to miss out on the kingdom of God and we're going to miss out on helping others. We get healthier as we repent and serve. We get stronger after failure and we can experience the peace of Jesus despite conflict, despite loneliness, despite anxiety. This Advent, this Christmas, with this new year approaching, may this be our prayer. Having experienced the peace of Jesus, we can bring peace to conflict, to loneliness, to anxiety. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, once again, we thank you for the gift of Scripture. We thank you for the many lessons that that you continue to show us along the way. And we pray, Lord, that that you would help us to, to deepen our understanding of peace and that you would help us, Lord, to, to be true peacemakers for your kingdom and for your sake. Help us to recognize the hurt and pain in us and around us. And may you work miracles in our lives and beyond our lives, Lord. May we be your vessels and instruments as you do this. But we pray for peace for those who are hurting. And we pray, Lord, that you'd use us. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.